Sometimes you're flush and sometimes you're bust. And when you're up, it's never as good as it seems. And when you're down, you never think you're going to be up again. But life goes on. Remember that. Money isn't real, George. It doesn't matter. It only seems like it does. All right, man. Welcome to another episode of Staying in Trouble. I'm Adam Shore. I'm Eric Humes. Yes, you are. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a fabulous day out today. It is. I've got, uh, we've got a great, great set of guests tonight. Um, just want to give a quick introduction. You want to tell us who you are and where you're from? Deidre? Sure, I'll start. Yeah. So, my name's Deidre Russell, and I grew up in Layton, Utah. Lived in the same house my whole life. Um, I went to Weber State. That's where I met Troy. That's where Troy stole you. Yep. And we got married. And this year we'll celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary. We moved to Portland to go to chiropractic school and then moved to Las Vegas in 2002. And we've been here ever since. And just for clarification, too, a lot of people ask me, they're like, who's more of the athlete, Deidre or Troy? And I'm like, everyone knows it's actually Deidre. <laughs> Troy yeah, and I so, are on the court just for good looks. So. That's true. So I, I played soccer my whole life, and I was lucky enough to get a soccer scholarship at Weber State. So played soccer there, Division One soccer, and it was awesome. Nice. Troy, what do you do for a living? And So I'm a chiropractic physician. And unlike Deidre, my father was in the Air Force growing up, so we moved every... Yeah, get a little close. Yeah. Don't be scared. <laughs> we moved every uh, three or four years my whole life. Yeah. Graduated high school. I went to my first year of college at Ricks. Then I served a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Australia. And there we get transferred to move every two or three months. Mm-hmm. And then... Or uh, five months for some of us. Went to, went to Utah... I went to Weaver State, and that's where I met my wife. And so when we got married, she had, as she said, lived in the same house her whole life, and I'd probably lived in 30-plus different places. And so it was less of a transition for me than it was for her. What was your favorite base? You know, probably Arizona. That's where I spent my high school years. Oh, okay. But it was neat living in Virginia when my dad worked at the Pentagon, uh, Colorado Springs when I was a kid. I was born in Ohio. So just a, a great childhood, great life experience, and I couldn't picture a better life than what I have. What do they call that? Military brats, right? They do Kids. call it military brats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't seem like you were a brat, though. No, definitely was not a brat, and I believe I was uh, my parents' favorite child until <laughs> until my youngest uh, sibling was born. It was His name's Joseph, and he's Down syndrome and autistic, and uh, I think he became the favorite, and so I moved to second. No, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. That's not bad. No, not out of eight kids, it's not bad. Eight kids. Yes. Nice. So, and how many how many kids do you guys have now? So we have five children. Um, we also uh, had a miscarriage, and so our kids like to tell people we have six six children in our family, and then we have four living: Colin, who's nineteen; Kyler is seventeen. Uh, Austin would be 14, um, Peyton is 10, and Madeline just turned 8. We call her Maddie. We talked a little, a little bit about the show that 
that was always a tough question for us, for my wife and I, that question of how many children do you have? Because our, you know, uh, because well, we lost my my oldest, his twin, which so we in theory would have four as well. We have you know our three children plus plus Allison, and that first year we it was our first children, so we didn't know what to answer. And so I'm always amazed at how you answer and how you hold yourself because uh, that's some of the story I want to talk about tonight is um, how long ago did, did, did Austin pass away? So um, five years ago, almost, so five years and maybe three weeks, um, he passed away May 30th, 2015. So it was a Saturday and normally, I mean, we were a big sports family, and our kids played multiple sports, not just one at a time. So normally our Saturdays were full of games all day long. This Saturday, um, we didn't ha really have anything. Austin had a basketball tryout for like a player rating, and so Troy took him to that, and then when he came back, we decided to clean out our garage. So started moving all of the you know, you just collect so much stuff. So we started moving all of our items out. And then um, we sweep it out, spray it out. And we had a stack of items that we were going to donate to Desert Industries. Yeah. And we had been carrying them to the truck, which was parked on the street, like one at a time. And so just to save time, we we backed the truck up the driveway. We have a little bit of a sloping driveway. We backed our truck up into the driveway finished loading everything in there. And I think we went and ate lunch. We ordered pizza, I remember that. We ordered pizza, we went inside and ate lunch, came back outside, and um, we were just, we were finishing up. I think Colin was at a birthday party, so he wasn't there. And our youngest daughter, Maddie, had just turned three a couple days before the accident. So she was in the house probably watching a movie or something. I think Peyton, our five-year-old at the time, was riding bikes. Was she outside? I believe she was outside. I think she was outside riding bikes. And Kyler and Austin and I were in the sort of the, we have a door that goes to our backyard. And we, were, we had, when we had taken our stuff out of our garage, we'd put it on our back, like back grass area. So... This is how I remember, this is my memory. So Kyler and Austin and I were kind of in the back of the garage and Troy got into his truck to take the stuff to DI before it closed. It was probably four o'clock, maybe 4.30. And he, I, hear, I heard him call to Austin, Austin's name, but I was still like busy kind of moving, you know, yeah, putting like organizing things on shelves and putting things away. And then I heard him yell my name. Like I'd never heard the sound come out of his mouth, you know? And I turned around. I actually didn't see Austin, but just from the way his voice sounded, I knew something was really, really wrong. And um, my phone was on top of a refrigerator we have out there, and I, I hurry and picked it up, and I, I called 911. But I kind of like already kind of just knew what had happened. And I called 911, and I don't know how, but 
pretty quickly, our neighbor, who's a physician's assistant, showed up. And together, he and I were trying to do CPR while I was on the phone with the 911 operator. The um, fire truck showed up and kind of took over. And I rode in the ambulance to the hospital, and Troy had to stay there. Um, you can take you can take over from here, Troy. I was in a I was in a police car, and the officer was just asking me all the questions. But to kind of go back, what had happened is early in the day, I'd taken Austin to the basketball tryout, and we were in a truck that I'd purchased for my brother about six months earlier. And when we were driving back from the basketball tryout, he asked if I had any chapstick. And I said that I didn't. And um, then four, five, six hours later, eight hours later, we finished cleaning out the garage. I get in the truck and I'm getting ready to leave, but I decide to look for a piece of gum. In the middle console, I had put all the stuff that my brother had left in the truck. And I hadn't opened that in probably five or six months. I open it up to see if there's gum in there and I see a little chapstick. And as parents, we want to do nice things for our kids. And so my first thought was, well, I'm running late. Let me just go. But I thought, you know, he wanted a chapstick earlier. So I rolled down my window, and I, I, I'm looking back because my truck was backed into the driveway. And I hollered Austin in the garage. And I said, Austin, do you still want chapstick? And he thought about it for a second. And he's like, ah, sure. And as you know, Eric, Austin was an incredible athlete. Incredible. So just a little precursor to what you're going to say. I had the opportunity to coach and be around Austin for much of his life. And I apologize by my voice, but it, uh, so I know what's going to happen next. And so to hear that part of the story is it, even meaningful because when we're looking for a purpose and we're looking like, why do things happen? I think about that moment. I know where I was when, when Sam called me. And I didn't believe it. And so just a precursor for our listeners that don't know, Austin was, uh, even from an early age, I was Austin's basketball coach a few times. And referees would ask me to run certain plays just to see how well he could do in games. And when we would practice, we would practice uh, five or six guys versus Austin just to give Austin a challenge to, to, to boost his level. And I was telling a friend, I said, when, when he was in elementary school, he would play with teenagers and, and, and he would outplay them. And, and his, you know, his love and his passion for, for sports, you know, I, you know, I kind of in a way always regretted when I heard that he got hit so much in football because maybe if Aiden would have played, he could have protected him a little bit better. But I apologize. Uh, but go ahead, Troy. No, you're, you're fine, Eric. Um, so I reached back, asked, asked him if he wants a chapstick, and he said, uh, sure. He thought about it. And my first thought was just chuck it all the way in the garage. But he started walking down the driveway a little bit. So I throw it to him, and it went right in his hand, and... and Nine out of ten times he would have caught that. Went right in his hand and he dropped it. And so I'm looking back over my left shoulder. I'm watching the chapstick roll down because I want to make sure it didn't go under the truck. And it it rolled down and then right when it got to the middle of the truck, it turned towards under the truck, but it stopped about a foot from going under the truck. Because I wanted to make sure that. And so I'm looking back. I watch him reach down, pick it up, and stand up. 
And then I turn, I adjust the stereo in the car, put it in drive, and I drive forward. And I felt the truck go over something. And I, my first thought was something had fallen out of the back of the truck that I'd gone over. And I look back to see what it was, and I see my precious little boy lying on the ground with his, his arm reached up. And I think I was just in shock because I don't, I don't remember screaming Dieter's name. I don't remember, like, I just remember, like, standing there just being helpless, going through my mind, like, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be okay? And, and I just, I think I just froze. I didn't know what to, what to do. The ambulance came. I just felt, I felt helpless. Like I wanted to, you know, like if you play a video game, you want to reset it or start over. Like that's, that's kind of the feeling I had. Like, let's, I, I was just in shock. I didn't really know what, what to do. And then um, when they came, the police officer had me get in the car and was asking me all these questions. And my only question for him was, I, I remember saying, have you ever seen a child be run over like that and be fine? Like that, that was what was going through my mind is, is, is Austin going to be okay? That's all that I worried yeah. about. And so Deidre went with Austin in the ambulance and then the police officer took me, took me to the hospital. And that's where I met up with, with her and some other friends that had been down there. You know, I love both of you. So, uh, so that's like, that was the incident. I, I was at the cabin. Sam called me and told me what happened. I was on the driveway, called Sarah over, called Aiden over. We couldn't believe it. I thought, I thought someone was calling, like it was, you know, being funny, uh, or not like, what would, like, why would you say that? And, uh, so I was in shock too. And then I remember coming to your house and, and that first week was, was hard, even for me as a friend. But fast forward, uh, I want to talk about the, who you are today and how you carry Austin with you is, uh, you know, we just, uh, I think this is the first year in five years, we've missed a celebration. And part of that celebration, it's kind of grown. And it's uh, something that we all look forward to. I think actually, I think last year, I think the attendance was, it seemed bigger. It seemed larger, seemed like more people were involved. And uh, and I love that the spirit is still alive. Well, well, well let's go back to like, I, I don't know how, how long after, what kind of support did you get the days after? Uh, you, you said you moved into the valley not too long. Was it 2000? And I, I apologize. 2002. 2002. So you've been in the valley a few years. And, and what kind of support did you get from community, friends, church, uh, days following that event? So that, so that day, of course, people came and took our kids to their they went to a friend's house and then when we came home from the hospital hours later our our we still couldn't get to our house like because it was um still taped off as a crime scene you know it was awful so we went over to our friend's house they left and we had to tell our kids you know what had happened that was that was really hard we I just remember saying, I don't know why, but we sat on the stairs and everybody just cried. 
And we made a promise to ourselves right, right then that we would do everything that we could to be with Austin again. And I remember that a lot. And I tried to talk to the kids about that a lot, that promise that we made, that we'd live our life in this life so that we could be with Austin. I think one of the questions that Troy talked about earlier, for those, for our listeners that don't know, 87% of people, of couples who lose a child, especially at early, uh, you know, under the age of 10, the divorce rate's very, very high. And, you know, like in, in the video, uh, you know, that, that we'll put a link to in, in the, in the bio, uh, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints actually did a, a focus highlight on some of the things that that Troy has done and I think some of the story that I think a lot of people do want to know Deidre is is your side of the story because your side of the story is hard too so I actually I actually had a couple of experiences and um when Austin was about 18 months old, maybe younger, maybe 12 months old. We had this little push car where he would sit in it and then it had like a long handle at the back and we would push him back yeah. and forth. And we live on a hill. And so in the in the evenings, the neighbors would come out and the, our kids were young and they would ride their bikes around and then the neighbors would, you know, stand around and talk. And one of the things that that we like to do with Austin is like I would stand maybe 10 yards up the hill and just... Troy would be ten, you know. So I would stand by a friend, and Troy would stand by a friend. And as we were chatting, I would just push the kind of just let go, and gravity would roll the this little car, car yeah. down to Troy, and then he would push it up to me. And that way, we could chat with our friends. And Austin, who was a toddler and wanted to run around, I can't even remember how old it was. He fifteen months, maybe. He was about. Uh, he was he was walking, but so that he was kind of contained but entertained at the same time, because we would strap him in there. Well. I still play soccer, and so this one evening I was at a, a soccer game, and I came home, and two of my neighbor friends were at my house and visibly shaken, and I came in, and they they were kind of just sitting in my living room, and they were so shaken, they, they told me what had happened while I was gone, so Trey was pushing, you know, the little car up and down the hill, but my son, who would have been four at the time, maybe, Five, yeah. he was he was higher up in the on the street, and um, we had our boat parked in our driveway with the trailer hitch poking out. So Kyler comes to take a turn. He this is my son that was five at the time. He takes a turn to push Austin down to Troy, and really you don't need to push; you just let go. Yeah. But he wanted to go fast, so he he pushed the little car down the hill, and kind of right before he reached Troy, it swerved and headed right for the trailer hitch. Well, it would have hit Austin right in the head and it was going so hard that it would have done a lot of damage. In fact, Troy, you did kind of like an all out football dive and was able to catch Austin right in the chest so that his head didn't hit that trailer hitch so hard. But the reason my friends were so visibly shaken, even still two hours later, is because they thought that they had seen him die then. Yeah. Because they thought for for sure that, but he had a big V like bruise on his forehead. So he hit that thing, but not as hard as he would have if Troy hadn't, you know. It probably would have gone right across his neck. So I dove in the street and my hand hit his chest to stop his body. So his head still flung forward and put a big dent V in his head. But they talked about that for like two or three days. 
that they just they what they had seen it had it had disturbed them you know so much yeah. and then so then let's fast forward to maybe a year or so before Austin died they were at a father and son's camp which had like a big jungle gym and I get this call you I think I, I got a text even a but anyway he had he was climbing up to the top of this jungle gym and had slipped and fallen head first into the ground and it landed on his head and then his body had scorpioned over his back and our friend Tom Welch who was there yeah. who saw it thought that he had broke his neck the way he hit and he just had huge like road rash on his face and that's what you sent me a picture of that he had fallen and that he had scraped up his face really bad but and so here comes to the point of me telling you that is in um and like situations like that i get scary situations like that i actually yeah. am calm and focused and like where when when this happened with austin he troy was in shock he actually, I don't know if you remember this, he sat down on the curb and he couldn't even answer any questions. He was just, he was in so much shock, he couldn't even talk. But I was calm and started CPR. And it's not till after, you know, it's not till after that the adrenaline hits that then kind yeah. of, I, I break down. But I really think that I needed to be there. And this brings me to another point that Troy and I have really come to believe is that is that it was Austin's time to go. And so I just, I think for me that I had to be there. Those previous other times, I wasn't there. But I was there at this time and knew that everything that needed to be done had been done. And I was there to, as awful as it was to witness, I just think that I needed to be there. And people asked me like, a lot when you when and when we talked about this a little bit ago if about marriages people ask me a lot if I was angry with Troy my answer's always been no and one thing uh, I mean I could talk I could go on and on with this answering this question but when Austin was born he had a, a speech delay and he didn't really start talking so people could understand him until he was like four. But about three, he started talking where I could, I could pretty much understand him. But until he was about four years old, he was the only child. And Kyler's about four years older than him. So he was, he really was like my baby, you know? Yeah. Only child at home. The other yeah. At yeah. Yeah. And so I was with him all the time and it was, just, it was me and him and I helped him with his speech and I got to have a lot of like one-on-one -on -one time with him. And then when he was four, my daughter was born. My first daughter was born. She was a really colicky baby and needed a lot of attention. And then about that time, that's when Austin and Troy just were like inseparable from then on. And Troy coached his football teams and took him everywhere. And we had another baby two years after my first daughter was born. And I was just kind of consumed with the, with the girls. Yeah. And so Austin became Troy's little shadow. And so for those of the for those people that don't know Austin and Troy's relationship, it was just just a really amazing, amazing relationship that you had. And 
we talked about it even almost right away that I think if it would have been anybody else that had accidentally run over my son, if it was a friend, a neighbor, a stranger, I really think that I would have been really consumed with anger. But there was like not even one bit of anger towards Trey at all. Like not even a a second of, of that feeling ever came to me because I saw this relationship that he had with him and there's no way that, I don't know how to explain it, but there's no way that I could have any ounce of anger towards Trey. No, I can testify that, you know, that, that Austin was Troy's shadow and, and uh, Troy was Austin's biggest cheerleader. You know, he, he loved Austin so much. And, uh, uh, you know, just being in Austin's life for the time you had. Uh, I don't know if you remember Troy, but for one of Austin's birthday parties, you're talking about his amazing skills to catch a ball. Was We played that game where you would have the kids jump off the off the uh, off the back of the the pool and you know the Aust- rock wall into the pool yeah and austin would always win austin would always dominate and it's a it's a hard game he you know, there's a couple of even older kids there and he was so competitive and uh i think too uh uh you know i think back to what what you shared with you know what austin uh you know drew up in in primary the the, the Sunday before the accident. And a lot of times, you know, I think people are always quick to get angered with God and it's slow to understand. And I think it's, that's kind of how we are in life until we can get a little bit older. Do we start to understand, you know, looking back? And so, uh, and so I, you know, I, I wonder too, like, do you ever feel like some of your kids, Troy, like, I know that you and Austin had a special relationship. Do you feel like Austin and, I mean, uh, Colin and, and Kyler ever feel like they ever get shadowed by Austin? You know, I, I don't, I don't know that, you know, what they're feeling and, and thinking. I, I know that they all love Austin and, and miss Austin. He still talked about a lot in our family. We did have a someone tell us a very wise thing soon after Austin passed away. They said that that sometimes parents focus so much on the child that's passed away that it causes the other children to feel like the parents wish that it was them that had passed away instead. And that was really good advice that, that we received because that made us consciously make sure that and aware. Yeah, that we spend time and talk to the talk to the other kids and um, let them know, you know, how much you love them and how much you miss Austin and love Austin. But Deidre brought up something is, is when we went after we left the hospital, we went and talked with the kids and let them know that Austin passed away, that we just sat down as a family. And we mentioned to the kids that this is going to be very hard, but we can use this experience to try to become better, to try to draw closer to Heavenly Father and make sure our family's an eternal family so we can always be together or we can use this experience to be bitter and, and angry, but it was our choice. And like Deidre said, we've tried to, we've tried to use this, you know, just like Jesus Christ is our Savior, that, that we can't return to love God without Him. You know, sometimes I like to think that maybe this life experience that, that 
Austin gave us was to make sure that our family was eternal, that we were together. And then if we didn't go through something like this, maybe we slowly would have drifted away or drifted off the path or, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know that we can use this experience to try to become better people, closer as a family, and try to use our experience to help others. So uh, you, you grew up in Arizona, and I think it was maybe three years ago, Todd Heap um, had a tragic accident as well. So, so Todd Heap and I did not know each other, but we went to the same high school about 10 years. I graduated about 10 years before him, and so we have a lot of common friends. And after it happened with Todd Heap, I had probably 10 to 15 different people who know both of us text me right away and say what happened and send me his number and ask me to reach out to him. And so I was able to... Yeah, to one of his cousins asked me to see if you... I don't know if you remember that I called you the next morning and you, you'd already talked to him the night before round two. And, and, and I know that's not the only time you've done that. And that's, I think, part of the story too. Like who you are today is, you know, in life we talk about let your light shine. And... I, I've met a couple of the people like after like I'm gonna call it post visit with Troy, and uh, and they have I can see the extra light that he gives off. I remember I remember that first couple of days at your house, and the and the grief that was so heavy there, and and now I look at, at Troy who he is today. For those don't, that don't know, I'm also uh, commonly known as Troy's stunt double for like big <laughs> physical videos. The producer was very, uh, the director was was very <laughs> animate about having me uh, uh, active, and he, he needed a bad guy in the video, I guess. But in all seriousness, I've I've had the opportunity to meet with people after they met with T Troy and heard his story. And I think that's, uh, I think it's so inspiring because like you said, even from that first moment, how do we get better? How do we get, how do you share that? I know for a lot of people when they go through a tragedy, you know, um, after we went through our tragedy, Sarah went to counseling and they counseled her on what's triggers and what's going to trigger and, and what, like hearing certain words or being in certain situations it breaks her down, like it right to her core. And to hear that, that Troy is able to help others in a way, in a way that is unfathomable for most people, I think is, is, is a story in of itself. For me, it is at least. Well, I, I definitely try, I know, I know Deidre, we try to as well to use our experience to, to bless lives of other people. I've had quite a few experiences where people have lost children reach out to me to try to reach out to the person that lost a, children, a child to see if we could help them with our story. And I know Deidre's done that as well. And I, I was telling you earlier before we started recording this that I'm a chiropractor and so I have a lot of opportunities to sit in a, in a closed room one-on-one -on -one with people and talk and get to know them. And I have, a, I have pictures of my family in each of my rooms. And they'll always ask about my family and the children's age, and I'll let them know that Austin would be whatever age at the time he would be, and that opens up a conversation. 
And what I've really come to know is that we all have we all have stories, we all have trials, we all have struggles, we all have difficulties. And a lot of times we feel like nobody can really relate or know exactly what we're what we're going through. And then sometimes we hear someone else's story, and it changes changes our uh, our paradigm, our perception of of the incident. And I, and I believe that I've been able to help quite a few quite a few people with just sharing my story with them. Um, and then just yesterday, we had a guy come and fix our pool. And he asked if, he saw we had a lot of kids, and he said, are you, you must be a Mormon or a Catholic. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I explained that that we're uh, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he asked um, about the kids' ages, and I told him about Austin, and then told him the story. And the guy got very emotional and thanked me. And then before he left, he pulled me aside again, and he said, I just want to thank you for sharing that with me. And I was able to take from him that he'd had some tragedy or struggles in his life like we all do. And maybe that was something that he needed at that time. I, I don't know. I didn't go into detail about what was going on in his life. But I just, I, I thank our Heavenly Father. When, when I say my prayers, I try to ask for opportunities to serve and to help people. And, um, and I try to take advantage of that when, when I get to know people. Well, and I know that uh, you you've helped our friend Joe. I, uh, Joe and I briefly talked about you know some of the comforting that you've brought to him, and and the ongoing relationship that you have with him, and uh, and so, like I said, I get a lot of I we we have so many circles and. And I'm in a unique position where uh, I know a lot of people. So I knew you when that tragedy was going on. I was one of the first people to to meet with Joe after his tragedy. And so and to see both of you kind of go out into the community and and, sh- and shine a light on love and shine a light on, on how we can help others. So Joe also lost a son. And we didn't know... Uh, him and his wife, but we got met together and we contacted him and went and had dinner with them. And I'll let Deidre kind of tell that. Well, uh, yeah, so uh, yes, okay. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so Deidre, I did ask, I, I, Joe, if you're listening, Joe knows, I already, I asked Joe in, in trade, I, I don't know if you know this, but I do spend a lot of time with Joe and Tracy on a personal basis. Like, um, and so for my listeners that don't know, um, Troy and I've been playing basketball together for about 16 years. And with Joe and Tracy, I've submitted myself into their family life for the last like five years on a very regular basis. And so you have a skill set at that. I do. You just put yourself in the people's lives. I do. I'm not complaining, but like, well, yeah. I, I mean, mean I've done with thing. yeah. I did it with with Adam, and I, <laughs> I, I I do on a regular basis. And so, um, and so on the lead up to this, I had asked Joe about possibly coming on, and he, he said not right now. He wasn't he wasn't ready, and you know, and uh, and I know you know that you guys have, have submitted a relationship and and for those of our listeners we're talking about the tragedy for for joe it's it's the route 91 tragedy where he lost his son 
and uh, and I know where I was when that happened too. So, so how we're, how this is connected is that our son plays basketball for Foothill High School, and Joe and Tracy's son Quentin played for Basic, and so a year and a half ago, they were doing a this is so this is the first basketball season after Quentin passed away, and they were retiring his number at Basic. Um, during the varsity basketball game, and Foothill happened to be playing at Basic that night. And so they did this really beautiful tribute to Quentin during halftime and before the game, too, and then at halftime. And I just, um, Troy and I were in the audience watching our son, I mean, in the stands watching our son, and I, after the um, the halftime... Um, it was a Chick-fil-A presentation, and whoever got up to give the free <laughs> throw and missed... I don't know who that was. Is that you? But in his defense, <laughs> yes, he had he had Crocs on, and I think I had dress socks on. I wasn't. Well, that wasn't the big deal. The big deal was that it was an air ball, and you didn't even hit the rim. <laughs> I don't even remember that. But I did go up and talk to Tracy at halftime, and I had introduced myself, and she had heard of our story, and her son had played. I think Quentin had actually coached against Austin in flag football. Yeah. And then he had also been one of the refs at our very first Austin celebration. So he worked for the city at the time. And, um, a friend of ours helps with our Austin celebration doing the basketball tournament. And he recruits the, you know, the rec kids to come. And so anyway, Quentin was there. And one of the things that, um, we talk about sometimes with the Robins is that Quentin was wearing his AR three, you know, his Austin, bracelet when he passed away and um there's just a connection there they were both number three both number three so we, we have a special bond with them and we we just love absolutely love them yeah. and we try to get together for dinner a few times a few times a year but if we've been able to help them great but we know they've been able to help us a- as well just sitting down and sharing what we're going through and what we're experiencing and the similarities and and we can relate with each other that people who haven't lost a child, no matter how hard they want to or how much they want to, they they just don't understand, even though their intentions may be, may be great. I just remembered your earlier question was how we were helped after his accident. That's what that's that was the original question <laughs> you asked. Um, and I was gonna I I got off on a tangent, but. Um, Troy's brother is lives in St. George and he was the first he and his wife were the first ones there and um, so we had family that stayed with I think they stayed with us that night maybe they stayed in hotel it's kind of like a blur the whole the whole they kept our kids so you and I were home alone they they kept the kids with them are you sure yeah I'm sure I know I know which hotel they stayed at so I don't even I don't even we didn't even sleep that night because your 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 brother's uh I'm just it's random information but one of my one of my best friends is your brother's really good friend and so he put him up in a hotel um off of St. Rose so I don't even remember that but I do remember very we didn't didn't even sleep that night but I remember very early in the morning his younger brother who lives in Ogden Utah had hopped on a red-eye flight and had arrived or did he drive did he get in his car and drive I don't remember like I said the details of that whole first couple of weeks are really foggy but just opening the door even almost before the sunrise and his his brother being there and then our family started to show up but we don't have family that lives here you know so 
I think when that happens, when you, when you don't have family that you can kind of fall back on all the time, it forces you to create bonds with your neighbors and your friends. And, and I've never heard of a group of friends and community like the one that rallied around us. And if, you, if you've been to any of our celebrations, you'll see that firsthand because it's a group of moms and dads with no planning, you know, no, <laughs> no big giant um, event planning experience. And we throw this amazing community event. And I think we figured we had 1,500 people last year. Last year. Just depends on how many horseshoes we have. <laughs> but, you know, our family, our family and friends, I mean, our family was there, I think, um, I was, I just, I was having obviously a really, really hard time even taking care of like the other kids. And I know that we had at least one family member that stayed with us until school started. So the accident happened on May 30th and maybe school starts the middle of August, maybe. So we had somebody in the house helping with the kids until then. So our family was really great for that. But our friends and the community, I mean, it was just... The outpouring of love that we received, you know, was was pretty amazing. Well, I think part of that, though, is you, you talked about your kids playing sports. And it, it was never just playing sports. It was always, uh, you know, uh, it was also coaching, taking care of kids, running kids around. Your investment in other families is... Uh, you know, I, I shared a little bit earlier about, you know, the football part. You know, Troy came to he's like, we could really use Aiden. He was, he was not just a coach. He was a recruiter. <laughs> he was, you know, well, he was. He's third person in front of us, but he is. And I, th- I think that's kind of the beauty is, is you know, he... You know, you, you talk about my skill set of submitting in people's homes because that's what I do. You know, Troy did the same thing. You know, Troy was always willing to help others in a way that maybe they didn't know. And, you know, we talk about Troy's chiropractic service, but he rarely talks about that. His real passion in life is is, is youth sports. <laughs> well, his passion is our is our kids for sure. And yeah. He's coached he's coached every one of our kids' sport. I mean, he was he's always coaching. Yeah. So the time that you coached Austin, it was because he was coaching the other boys and couldn't coach three. The, the city wouldn't let him coach three teams. He he got capped at two teams or something. I mean, he was always coaching. Well, the kids. Like I always, yeah, same here. I always coach two or three teams, and when you get to that third team, your spouse is wondering <laughs> <laughs> where they fit in, and and also the the teams are like, hey, we have you only have so much time in the day. No. And you only have so much effort, and you know, flag football. Even though I mean, we it was always treated more like a, a, that's that was just a, a great experience. So I'd like to go back to what you're talking about that you wish Aiden was there to help protect Austin, and I think you're referring to the story I told at his funeral. Yeah. So Austin was our quarterback. He was the well. S- so our kids had always played flag football, but this was Austin's first time playing tackle. So this was the fall season before um, he passed away. 
we decided to put him in tackle football for the first time. And, and also a little illustration because this is audio is is Austin is not is not large in no, stature. He's just, he was tiny. And then my son is large in stature. <laughs> and so he's he's big and strong, but he doesn't have that aggressive bone that 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 little whatever that little aggressive bone is. He only has it when He's on the court, actually. So, so I coached Austin's uh, tackle football team, and it was the first year I coached tackle. And we'd assembled a group of kids together, gone through practice, and this was our first scrimmage. And we were playing against a team that had been playing together for a few years. And Austin was uh, – so we weren't doing like first – you only had three downs. We'd probably do like 10 or 15 plays and then switch offense versus defense. And so we were running a shotgun, and Austin was the quarterback – and the center wasn't very great at snapping the ball, so it was a, snow, a slow snap to him. And by the time Austin would get it, a linebacker defense lineman would just cream him. And as the head coach on the sideline, I was watching this, and I was worried about my little yeah. guy, and Austin would pick himself up. They'd do the next play, creamed again. He didn't even have time to hand the ball off. And probably like 10 times in a row, just this little kid is just getting – Getting creamed. run over, yeah, like just a train, run over, hit by yeah. A train, yeah. And every time, every time he got back up, and I finally, you know, the, I was letting the offensive coordinator kind of do his offense, but I finally decided, hey, I'm going to go out there and say we got to <laughs> change something up. But I also wanted to check on how Austin was. And I looked at him and I said, "How's it going?" And all he said is, "Dad, when do we get a break?" <laughs> <laughs> he didn't complain about getting hit. He wasn't crying. He just took it time and time again and, and was trying there and then when we lost Austin <clears throat> I I thought of his example it was like I had just gotten creamed I just gotten hit I'm lying on the ground and I could sit there and, and be hurt and quit and that or I could be like Austin just pick myself up and just keep going and that's exactly what he did and that's what exactly what I did trying to follow his his example but I just couldn't believe that this little kid was getting hit that hard over and over and over again. And he just got up every time, kept running the next play. And I've just tried to use that example that he set for me in my life. Uh, no, that and, and the other great example, too, is, you know, if you haven't watched the video, our listeners, the part I love the most is the part when you share your answer from God because people always wonder like, hey, is God out there? Is God real? And I always tell people when you go through a tragedy, you kind of have to make a decision in life. Is God real? And is his promises true? Or is it not? It's really black and white. And in the in the in the video, Troy, you, you, you gave your response of of maybe why this happened. So I'll add something. I told the story about the pool man that I talked to yesterday where he thanked me. And what I told him was that through this whole experience with losing Austin, I had never felt more pain in my life, more sorrow. And when I say pain and sorrow, I can't even describe how great it was. The, the, the best way I can describe it is it felt like a house was on top of me and I could not even budget an inch. There was no relief. It was relenting. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't 
it, it that that's the best way I can describe it, but that doesn't even do it justice, the pain that I felt. But at the same time, I never felt more love from our Heavenly Father. I never felt closer to God. It, it's like this, you've got this unbearable grief, but you at the same time you feel this unimaginable love and closeness to our Heavenly Father. And in the video it talks about where I just dropped down on my knees in my room. I was alone. And I just said, Heavenly Father, I'm done. I, it's This is more than I can bear. I can't take any more of it. And as I was praying, I felt him speak to me. And he said, I could take away the pain, but I'd have to take away the nine years you've had with your son. Or you can keep those nine years and endure the pain that comes with losing him. And at that moment, I still had the same pain, same sorrow, same grief. But I was completely changed. My capacity now was greater. I could have taken more pain, more sorrow, more grief. Because I, I would not trade those nine years for anything. I could go through any amount of pain and grief as long as I got to keep those, those nine years. One thing the video doesn't mention is... A story that with Deidre, we had another family member was going to come stay with us, and so we we're cleaning out our guest bedroom. Well, we had been, we had been things that people gave us. Um, we had been putting in our guest room downstairs, and I have to kind of go off on a little tangent here. But Austin loved basketball so much that for every birthday, for every Christmas, every time we went anywhere. <laughs> he would get a basketball, usually like a mini basketball, but he probably had 20 basketballs. I mean, he loved, he loved all sports, but he just, he almost was playing basketball before he could even barely walk. And so, and so when I would, when he wouldn't do his homework or when he wouldn't empty the dishwasher or, you know, like he was supposed to empty the dishwasher, I'd find him outside shooting baskets. And so I'd take a ball and I'd hide it until he finished his chore and then I'd turn my back and he was outside with a, well, he had stashed them all over the house <laughs> and outside because he knew I was going to take them away until he finished <laughs> his chore. So also in that, in the room where we were kind of setting aside things that people had given us, they, they were giving us a lot of things, but on top of the bed was just like 15 or 20 basketballs that had his name on it, you know? So Kate, go ahead. So we had a lot of stuff in his, in that guest room, but go ahead. So try. a family was going to come stay. Another family was going to come stay with us. So we went there to try to clean out the guest room and Dieter just broke down, had a panic attack. She couldn't stop crying. I had never had a panic attack before or anxiety attack or whatever you want to call it, but you can't breathe Yeah. and your heart is racing and you just, you can't control like this. It's just this overwhelming, you know, feeling of like anxiety and stuff. And really I couldn't breathe. And so I was, I was panicking a little bit even because of that because I couldn't draw in enough. But I went upstairs in our room because we had there was people in our all over the house and I don't I don't like making a scene. So I went upstairs. I don't know if you saw me or you were up there. I just know I was trying to comfort you and I just couldn't help her I at was all. In, I'm Rosa, I I do remember that. That was maybe a a week or so. Just could she couldn't stop crying. She was having a hard time breathing and so. Our, our, some of our best friends, uh, Steve and Mary Olinchek, they had lost a, a child. They'd had a stillborn on their due date? Probably two, three, four years earlier. So I called up uh, Mary and asked if she could come and try to help Deidre. 
So she came, and, and I remember that she laid in bed with you for probably three, four hours. I know. I was just, yeah, I cried. and cr- It was kind of like my, it was kind of like I had been in shock for a week or so, and this was, the this relief. was finally the, the realization, you know, it had hit me or so. Yeah. So that was, night. I'm sorry. How long after? Probably a week and maybe a half. Maybe a week. Was it after the funeral or before? It was the after fu- the funeral. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So maybe a week and a half after he passed. So once again, I dropped to my knees and I just pleaded with our heavenly Father that he would let Deidre know that Austin was okay. And every time I prayed, I just pleaded and pleaded with him, let her know that Austin's okay. And probably three days after her panic attack, we had come home. We we went to a Christian bookstore. Um, it was called Seagull Book and Tape. And what's interesting is is after Austin passed away, there was zero joy in life, no matter what we did. Like not a things you normally enjoy, a good meal or a, a resting or a TV show. There was no joy in anything we did. And so we're just trying to find something. So we went to the desert or a seagull bookstore. And when we came home, our little three-year-old, who had turned three three days before Austin passed away, she was... She was like playing with Barbies or something, just, just sitting on the ground, like just playing on the ground. Brushing, she was brushing a Barbie's doll. Hair. And, yeah. yeah, or brushing the, yeah, the hair. And, and she says, I saw Austin last night. Like, well, what? she said she didn't. She say she saw a ghost. Yeah, she's like, I saw a ghost. She's like, I saw a ghost last night. I'm like, you saw a ghost? She goes, yeah. And she just kept playing. We said, like, do you know who it was? She goes, yeah. Who was it? She goes, it was Big Austin. <laughs> and we're just like kind of blown away. And she's just brushing the doll's hair like no big deal. And so I picked her up and I said, where did you see him? She said, in your room. And I said, we're in a room. So she goes in your room. So I took her up into our room. And I said, we're in our room. And she pointed above our bed where our feet went. So after asking her numerous questions to get the full story, in the middle of the night, maybe two, three in the morning, she had woken up and she'd come into our room, gotten in bed between me and my wife. And she said, Austin appeared to her. And she kept calling him Big Austin. And later we found out that he was big like, she said he was big like daddy. And she, she said he was wearing a white dress. She said he was wearing a white dress, and he was just bright white. And he just stayed there until she went, fell asleep. Well, you asked her if he said anything, and she's and this is a three year old, you know, mind yeah. you. She said that he put his finger over his lips like this, like to not like shh, like shh, and to not say anything. That's why she didn't wake us up. And she said he stayed there until she, she fell, fell asleep. asleep. And when she told us that. I knew that that was Heavenly Father answering my prayer to let Dieter know that Austin was fine. And how symbolic that he's above us, like maybe he's watching over us, and our little three-year-old was the one that was able to see him and then able to tell us the next day. I, because I don't, maybe if, you know, they're just, she's incapable at that age of making up a a story like that. And um, maybe if it was one of our other kids, we would have questioned like the truthfulness of it. But from a three-year-old who, who, the way she described it, it wasn't like the way we speak in church where we speak about spirits and stuff. You know, she yeah. said it was a ghost that he was in a dress, where we would, I think we would call it a robe. You right. know, or yeah. so that was. 
I do I do have to say though for like a week after that I could not sleep and every time I opened my eyes <laughs> I wished I would see him too we but. just wanted to see him as well but, but that goes back to the point that, that we never felt more sorrow more pain but at the same time it, it never felt like the heavens were as open as they were during that that is true during that time we talk a lot about just feeling the overwhelming feeling of love you know from Heavenly Father but from our friends and the community too like the outpouring of of love that we that we felt was really what like Troy said the weight of this house on us that's what lifted it off us is is just the amazing support you know and meals for months and months and we they had, replaced our washer and dryer which had broke like 3 days before and kitchen sink i mean it was just so the generosity you know was was kind of overwhelming for us i'm the kind of person that likes to stay in the background and not ask for help and not really put my feelings out there you know so the attention i don't want to i don't want the attention on me at all but anyway it was it was just phenomenal and then when we decided you know when austin's birthday was coming up the next year so he passed away on may 30th his birthday's may 5th Fifth, yeah so as the you know the 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 year starts to to pass by and we think about like what do we want to do for his birthday we had the idea of just throwing a big birthday party and inviting you know anybody that wants to come and it evolved into this well let's do a basketball tournament and um you had, Troy had just coached with James DiNicola who runs the city of Henderson basketball and he I don't know if you reached out to him or he reached out I think he reached out to us and said hey I'd like to help out and and then we had just, you know, just like our friends and we put together this, this amazing, you know, basketball tournament and we had, it ended up raining, but luckily we had James DiNicola who had rented out, you know, Black Mountain Rec Center. I mean, we yeah. wouldn't have had that, that option, but anyway, and that's the one that Quentin was at. And I didn't realize this until after Quentin passed away and went and looked through the pictures and saw that he, that he had been there. But it's this, this community event has evolved into this just amazing celebration that a lot of a lot of people look forward to I mean it just brings the community together and it's grown every year it gets bigger every year and it was disappointing this year I mean understandable but disappointing that we couldn't have it like we planned but after after last year's event I had someone come up to me and say I hope you realize that all of us have our struggles and trials with life and it goes people that come to your event he goes a lot of us are just there to heal from our own issues in our life and that was very important for me to hear because I kind of felt like maybe we were putting this big burden on people to come try to celebrate Austin's birthday with us and it, it never hit me that you know maybe people that, that go it helps them with their own issues that they're dealing with in their own lives and and I was going to say when when Dieter was speaking is I do remember during that time that we had meals brought to us every night and I had a friend come up to me and say, hey, I just want to let you know we signed up to bring a meal to your family, but the earliest appointment was in two months. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I had yeah, no idea, but it was... months of, I mean, yeah, it was just amazing. It was just amazing. And I, like I said, was in, a lot of it is like a blur, a little bit of a blur. You just, you know, you, I couldn't tell one day from the next. That first week for sure... But I do remember that we had somebody staying with us, at least one person staying with us to help with the kids. 
and until it was like until school started and then the meals just people had signed up for meals for like months and months and you talk about I talk about other people like myself being included in that other people is that's one thing where, where Troy you've had a gift and that's part of the story too because when someone goes through a tragedy hey you probably, it's hard to know how to help them and then in and Troy preaches this in the video is how do you how do you talk to someone after the tragedy and and so in the video you know John reaches out to Troy and says hey let's come play basketball and 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 John texts us and says hey let's get a couple guys together just these couple guys don't not not everyone to come play ball and and uh and so we all get together and I don't remember that Troy but it was we were all kind of like you're kind of on eggshells like do we say anything like we're playing on top of that we're playing basketball which is Austin's sport right yep and and I, I don't I don't I this is my memory of it Troy you correct me if I'm wrong but you know, Troy comes in, we give him love, we're all giving him hugs, and then we just played, and it was, it was like, it felt good just to be, I don't want to say normal. Yeah. You know, uh, of course I fouled Troy probably, <laughs> you know, probably gave him a little side check just to make sure he felt loved, uh, as I do on a regular basis, is, uh, but how, how do you deal with you're, that, Troy? You're missing a very important point about that morning. <laughs> is I, I got I remember there. what point he's, he's going to refer to. I show up there, and they had had these special Austin jerseys made that had AR3 on them. And everyone was wearing an Austin jersey. Yeah. And then they presented me with one. And then I think whoever had done I think it was Damon Andrews. Yeah, Damon did it, yeah had had paid for the jerseys and then had everyone pay him twenty dollars and then he used that money to help with Austin's funeral expenses. And that was what like my wife was talking about how the community neighborhood was just slowly lifting that house off us. That was a huge thing right that it just showed me these guys that have been playing basketball for years, just how much love they had for me and for our family, that they were willing to to do something like that. And that that really helped me. We we didn't feel like doing anything. And so Deidre and I had made a pact that if anyone invited us to do something, we had to say yes. Because <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't have done We wouldn't have gone anywhere. Anything, or, done anything. I wouldn't have, yeah, accepted anything, you know. Just But we decided that my mom had actually passed away about 15 months before Austin suddenly of cancer. And going through the grieving process of, you know, my mom passing away, yeah. I did all the wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> And um, that was kind of another tender mercy of when Austin passed away. I had I had gone through the grieving process, a really, really hard grieving process just a year before and had failed at it. I did terribly at it. <laughs> I didn't know you could fail. But. <laughs> yeah, it was really, I, I really, it, that really hit me hard. But one of the things that I didn't do was I never talked about how I felt. And when people would say, how are you doing? I just said, I'm fine. And so I did the opposite after Austin passed away. I'm like, well, this didn't really work so well the first time around. Let's try something different. And so I yeah. was the one that said to Troy, like, let's just, people don't know what to do and they don't know what to say, and but they do want to help. We could feel that, that everybody just wanted to help. And so we, we 
you know, made a pact with each other. We would just accept what anybody said, what anybody offered. Can I bring you this? Can, do you want to go here? Do you want to go on a walk? Troy didn't want to go play basketball in the morning, but because we had said like, we're going to say yes to everything. Let's well, just. Well, we made and, a pact too. <laughs> I got to come. let him uh, score a three point. <laughs> so we said, hey, at least, you know, if, if you kind of guard him and you think he's going to shoot, Kind of give him a little extra space. Is that why they put you on him? <laughs> they knew that, he would score? I yeah. have to come clean, though, Eric. When you invited me to go to breakfast, I didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. But because of our pact. We, it wasn't we really like a pact. We just, mostly because everybody had been so good to us. And we could, obviously we could tell nobody knows what to say and what to do. and But we loved everybody for trying. And so we wanted to kind of help both of us feel better the person yeah. offering the comfort and and ourselves by just accepting just everything be, just because we didn't want to do anything we didn't want to do anything yeah. yeah there was no joy as i said there was no joy in anything and it was it was tough i remember my brother invited me to go watch jurassic park that movie had just come out and i sat in the theater for two hours and was as miserable as could be all i was thinking about is oh awesome would enjoy this movie you know but that was a, a thing that we just Instead of just sitting at home and, and sulking, we, we try to just keep keep doing things. So when people drive around town, they see the, the AR3 on a lot of cars. And probably some people don't know what that means. And now, now hopefully, if they listen to this podcast, they do. I've seen, I've, I've been at a few of your speaking, public speaking engagements and stuff like that. So what's what's next? Would you write a book about your experience and be able to there's something about your story like Eric definitely has a personal connection I I do not but still there's a there's a touching part of it and I, I think most of the people out there probably feel the exact same way like the pool guy you were just talking to there's something about it that that draws people in and helps them maybe examine their own issues or own problems well have you guys considered I, a book? I th thought about writing down things a lot and then at, like at first I thought I'm going to, when I think of a memory, I'm going to, I'm going to jot it down. So I have a Microsoft Word document that's probably three pages. And at first I thought I'm going to, I would like to just, just for our, my own self have like kind of like a story of his life just yeah. so I never forget like the, the cute things that he did. But going back to your question, I think at first the impact was so great because Austin Austin had an impact before he died. And mostly as because he was a really amazing athlete. One of my favorite memories of him is um, at his older brother's basketball games, he would um, shoot like at halftime when the teams go off the court. Yeah. He runs down this little kid and he's shorter. I mean, he's the shortest kid ever for his age. But he had these... <laughs> really pretty blonde curls and blue eyes and he'd have this big basketball and he'd be shooting these threes and it was everybody would be cheering and and then when he'd play basketball like you know for the rec rec yeah. teams I would sit in the stands and listen to people talk about oh my gosh look at this little kid and he'd be doing like crossovers in between the legs he's like five years old and everybody else is picking it up and running with it and he's you know doing crossovers and behind driven the back left-handed right-handed left -handed, right-handed doing layups pulling up threes you know and well the, so it was and, and fun the, for me the to sit in the, the stands he wanted to, to see more of him shoot from half court was uh they're like eric get him to shoot from half court. well the I parents said, well, he's already passed his 20 point <laughs> limit so normally after 20 points he's only allowed to do 
He's only he's only allowed to steal the ball this many times. He's only allowed to yeah. score this many points. I think they changed the rule where they got rid of stealing because yeah, he would did. just the, the other team had no chance. He, they'd cross the half court and he'd steal the ball and go do a layup. Yeah. So going back to like listening to the parents, of course they thought it was cute at first, and then after a while they're like, somebody should do something with that kid. You know, they get angry because he could just run the. I mean, he could just run the ball up and uh, down yeah. the court, and no other kid would ever get a chance to touch. I the just ball. remember watching parents from both teams just sit there and watch, you know, watch this little kid play. But we had a friend that would call him the halftime show, though at the big at the big boys games, he was the halftime show, and everybody was cheering for this tiny little kid, make draining all these threes. You know, it was pretty cool. Back to your question about what's next, I've, I've been gathering. Um, so one, one thing that helped me is I uh, really dove into studying the scriptures and reading people's near-death experiences. I probably read over 700, maybe 800 different people's near-death experiences. And I've gathered a bunch of quotes and statements and people's near-death experiences on things that can help people who lose loved ones. And I've kind of been gathering those on, a, on my phone, and I've never written a book and I've never had a desire to write a book, but I've kind of felt like that um, with the knowledge I've gained and the stuff I've gathered, that I kind of feel like at some point that I should to be able to share what I've gained and learned to try to help people who and, have gone through And the stuff that things. stands out to you when you read, when you've read him, just because I know he shares it with me, is about how much Heavenly Father loves us and some of, and why we go through some of the things we do. It's not, I mean, the near-death experience is... Some people think like, oh, that's odd or that's morbid weird or, or morbid. But, you know, a lot of people that go to heaven, what they call heaven, I mean, they just, they're able to experience and feel how much love there is there and how much love Heavenly Father has for us and maybe get the question answered. We went to, we went, he went to one session of grief counseling. Like, like I said, we were doing everything. We would say yes to everything. Right. And so right. somebody said, well, you should do grief counseling. And so we're like, yes, we'll go to grief counseling. We went to one session. I kept going and he, he didn't need it. But I remember the counselor said, one of the first things she said is, is that you have to, not that there's an end to your grieving, but eventually you'll, you'll come to answer the question of why, why did this happen? And everybody's answer to that why question is different. Why did this happen? Trey will have a different answer than my why. And I thought, I've thought about that a lot. Like the why, why did this happen? And I think we've come up, I mean, he answered it a little bit like for our family to be together, like an eternal family. So not that I didn't need group counseling. I just didn't feel it was helpful for me. <laughs> no, I, so I it was verify. really, hel- it was really helpful for me. And if, so Sarah and I did the same thing. If you want so me to talk not, about what I learned. Yeah. Nine about. months after our daughter passed away, uh, my friend was the same way. He was like, Oh, Eric, you got to go to a grief council. You gotta, you gotta see a psych. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're, you're not doing well. <laughs> so I went to the, I, I went to, to the counselor I sat down with them. It was over on Smoke Ranch and Jones. I remember, I'm, I don't know addresses, right? So I go in and he's like, Eric, you, your handle is way better than anyone else I've ever seen. He's like, you know, the way, the way you do things and the way I remember, like from my own little experience was, I was surprised how many nurses, you talk about near death, it brought me closer to NICU nurses because our daughter was in the NICU for four days and hearing their stories and hearing 
their tragedy brought them to where they are in life and that's where they get to counsel and and it helped me grow up because I'm a pretty childish person if that's a thing I'm a pretty <laughs> childish yeah. person and in that 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 experience matured me like if people think I'm childish now like I was way worse before that experience and uh, and and that's I think like what you said earlier, Troy, about you and Deidre, you had that one moment. For Sarah and I, I think we we still have those one moments. Like there's there's a certain spot in life where you can think about where you are. There's something that we'll talk about our daughter that means something so precious to us. And whatever everyone thinks or whatever else is going on at that moment, it's like you're in the grove, you know. And so... So I know I can testify that when Troy's talking about the the feeling of, of closeness, you know, I know for my, my own personal self, when I pulled the casket of my daughter out of the hearse and walked across the grass, I've never felt so close to God as in that moment that I, that was when I received my testimony, like a, a really witness of, uh, of God in my life, even more so than I'd ever before. I think the greatest that I get out of the entire story is is definitely of hope. You know, no matter what you're going through, you do feel at the moment that you're going through it that this is your demise, that this is it, that you feel like you're completely lost. And hearing your story and stories like even of Eric and, and uh, of Joe's and stuff like that, those kind of stories give you that, that moment of hope, that they can do it. I, I can get through this, you know, I mean, you know, and, uh, that's why I, I, I don't know. I think, I think a book is a fantastic idea. <laughs> Personally, I, I enjoy reading. So I, I, I like, I look for books like that. I look for inspiring things and I, I try to find those kind of stories and, and I, I don't know. We actually haven't even talked about it at all, well, but maybe. maybe we will after this. <laughs> No, I just I just feel like that we've been blessed with so much and that if we can share that and help somebody else that's struggling then it's definitely definitely worth it. And one thing I was going to share with you that that I've really come to believe is that the only thing that we own is our ability to make choices. I believe the air we breathe is a gift from God. It can be taken away in a second. Our physical bodies get sick die, diseased, uh, pain. Um, family members can pass away or betray us or leave us. Um, physical possessions that we own. I mean, look at the, with the coronavirus, just businesses were shut down and these huge casino owners, hotel, just taken away from them. And everything we have on this earth is, is literally a gift from God. And the only thing that we own that's ours that he will not take away from us is our ability to make choices. And life is, it's an obstacle course. Some of the obstacles are very difficult. Some are mild, some are, some we don't even realize are obstacles, such as wealth. I mean, that's a huge obstacle that we have. But now what do we do with what we have? And that's up to us. And I've really been blessed to do this whole thing that we've gone through, is to realize that everything we have is a gift from God, and I have the opportunity to use my agency that we like to call it 
to make choices. And sometimes I make bad choices, but then I have my agency to, to try to correct it and make it better. And that's been a great, a great lesson that I've learned that I hope that I can share that with, with other people. Well, we really appreciate you sharing it with us. We're so grateful you came in and was able to, uh, to really open up and share this story that I'm definitely inspired, you know, by it. And, uh, Eric, uh, yeah, you know, I think the greatest gift that you've given the rest of us and the reason why we enjoy coming to celebration is, is the genuine love in, in, you know, Austin, you know, we, as much as we talk about him as an athlete, he was also inspirational. So when you were talking about what you remember out of Austin playing basketball, that's actually not what I remember most out of Austin. When our kids were in kindergarten, he got up and he was one of the major aunts. He was like one of the central players. And I don't remember this, but there was a, the, the uh, Senora Quinones did uh, an aunt and B uh, player. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I remember he had like a, he had a starring role in that. And it was a side of him that was like, it was different because he, his his athleticism was so bright, but just like everything, like in what Troy's talking about choices is, you know, we only play sports maybe an hour or two out of the day. That means there's the whole rest of the day and how he treats people. And, and, and the other part about Austin's athleticism was even when he was playing rec ball and he knew that he was better, you know, I never felt like, Hey, I'm better than you at this game. And I don't want to help you. Like it was never a, a haughty presence. You know, when I was his coach, you know, one of the things that was, I was blessed with was we had players that had never played before. And I said, Austin, I, I pulled him aside. I said, Hey, so-and-so's never played before. Let's try to see how we can get that person to score. And so our goal for many games was to get so-and-so to score. And so it was phenomenal having him, which I, I don't think I ever told people that, but there was a lot of times when I would come to Austin and say, Austin, I want so-and-so to get the ball, so I need you to draw the ball over here. And then I would draw up a play so that person, like this is the easiest shot they're going to have. And so he would do that where he would draw, you know, purposely try to draw two or three people out and so I could have that person that's never played before feel the love of the game and 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 they would score and and that's something that you just like that's a memory and experience that for those kids like as a coach is like glory it's (laughs) like that's you know I knew just having Austin on the team we're gonna win it was never about whether we're winning or losing, but how can I help the other kids on the team win, right? The goal was never, oh, let's see have, let's see if Austin can score 40 or 60, or like you said, how many balls he could steal. We, I always capped it at about 20, 22 <laughs> points. And then I'm like, Austin, we need to get that many assists. Or, uh, you know, I purposely would draw a play so that other kids could feel a little bit of what, what it could be like if they practiced harder, if they dedicated themselves. And not only Austin would do that, but I remember he'd get as much joy out of the other kids scoring scoring than if he did it himself. He really, he really cheered his teammates success as well. Well, thank you so much for the Russells of coming on the, 
on the show and being able to be a part of this. This has been a, a, a wonderful opportunity. One of my favorite things about uh, starting this podcast is meeting some of our wonderful guests and being able to hear their stories and hear their lives. And that's been my, that's been my favorite. So I'm, I'm grateful for you guys and coming on the show and grateful for everyone listening in. Uh, if you uh, enjoy this show, please leave a, a, a comment down below on iTunes or hit that submit button. And also always tell someone about the show. Tell them, uh, tell them that you heard about it and uh, please share it. Share it on your social media or via text or anything. Tell someone about the show and let us grow. If you would like to, we'll, we'll leave a link if you want to reach out mm-hmm. to Deidre or Troy and Maybe if you want them uh, out on a Zoom meeting nowadays. <laughs> I know uh, Deidre loves the opportunity to speak. So, And uh, Troy, once in a while, likes to hear the sound of his own voice. <laughs> if, so. we, if we can help anybody, we'd, we'd love to have the opportunity. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having Welcome. us. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks.